Hey guys, uh, welcome to uh, Mental Health in Tech. Uh, so uh, this is, I, I think we finally reached the point now where I don't actually know what episode this is. So I think that's an encouraging sign. Um, there's been a couple, so I've kind of lost track. Also might have uh, to do with the fact that I've had a baby since and a lot of time has passed. Um, so like uh, we haven't done one of these in a while, but yeah, now we're, we're doing it again. Uh, so we have a really great guest today. Um, I will introduce her in a second. Um, but so just a bit of context in terms of who I am. So I'm Skalk Fenter, um, not Skalk Nietling, who's the other host. Um, but so my background is basically in front-end development, do a lot of JavaScript, um, do a lot of consultancy work, freelance and so forth. Um, also do a lot of teaching uh, in the tech space, like on, at tertiary education um, institutions and so forth. And so for me personally, you know, I have a very long story, a very long history of mental health and mental illness. Um, and I've been trying to speak more openly about it. Um, and, you know, Skulk Nietling was in a similar place in his life. And that's kind of like, a, this is the first episode you're listening to. That's kind of where this came from. But yeah, uh, I am currently on Venlaw and Zytomol. Um, and it has changed my life and kind of also therapy, uh, recurring therapy sessions and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll get an opportunity to speak more on that. Um, what we also tend to do, which is something that was introduced to us by our, our very first guest, uh, Gideon, is um, actually at the start of a session, we just take stock of where we are emotionally, how we're doing and so forth, have a start with kind of that almost moment of vulnerability. Um, so from my side, uh, doing well, um, very tired, as you can imagine, with a newborn baby, um, but it, it's getting better. Um, you are very far behind on work, uh, just because, you know, you can put in the hours, but if you're so tired, your, your productivity is just, like, very low. And I, you know, and as a freelancer, you, you, you kind of want to invoice, like, you want to, like... I almost want to say, you know, you want to like invoice, you want to feel that the work, what you're invoicing for is actually what the work you've delivered is worth. So I'm trying to catch up, do a bit of extra hours just to kind of feel that I'm not kind of getting money for work that I didn't do to the extent that I would want to invoice for. Um, but yeah, uh, otherwise going good, you know. Um, We'll, we'll see how it goes next time, but still very tired and so forth. But that gradually gets better. So this is my second daughter. Uh, so luckily, I've, I've, I, this isn't my first rodeo. Um, but yeah. Uh, Skalk Nietling, uh, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Also give a bit of an overview of where you are emotionally, and, and then I'm happy to introduce our guest. Yeah, for sure. And congratulations on the little one. Thanks. That's, that's yes. lovely. Um, I have three myself. They're not little anymore by any stretch of the imagination. The youngest is 17. So, um, but I still remember those days and it's, uh, it's a blessing and a curse and lovely and very, very tiring <laughs> all at the same time. But in the, in the long run, it's definitely, it's, it's worth everything. It, it's, it's a beautiful experience. Um, so who am I? Uh, I never know how to answer this question. I, for two months roughly now, I am officially an independent creator, uh, creating the company, building a company called Mechanical Inc., which is 
a consulting company that is striving to be a little bit more than just another consulting company. Um, I have a very strong focus on web accessibility and open source and open access. So um, I believe the technology can play a critical part in the growth of people and unlocking opportunity. And I think while the internet has immense potential, um, it's been used for not the best things and in the best ways always. And it's, um, it's uh, left people out instead of including people. And so I'd like to do my little part in making it what it can be and what, what it started out to be as this real thing of empowering people by making connections um, and breaking down barriers instead of putting up barriers. So um, that is why it's so hard to say what I do because it's there's so many factors that plays into that. Like I'm, I do podcasting, I write, I speak at uh, events, um, I run communities, I do friend and consulting, um, whole, a whole bunch of stuff. And um, uh, so in terms of uh, therapy has been life-changing, to be honest, especially once I found the right therapist for me. Um, and before the call, uh, we had a we had a nice conversation where something along these lines came up, which is like you. It's very hard in this this space, um, specifically for referring to mental health. Um, it's hard to be prescriptive and being like, "Oh, you want to be better? Here's the ten things you need to do." Um, maybe you can latch on to one or two of them, but. More often than not, all 10 of them won't work for you. Um, and it's the same thing with the therapist. You have to find a therapist that's right for you. The one that was right for me was I called him a Buddhist monk with a prescription pad. Um, that's the best way I, I could explain it because he was heavily focused on mindfulness, um, MBSR, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, something that was kind of started by John Kabat-Zinn uh, based on the mindfulness and um, meditation techniques of the Buddhist monks. Um, and that, along with the correct medication based on an accurate diagnosis, made all the difference. Like, I, al <laughs> I always uh, want to mention it, and then I'm like, where's wood? So I can just touch it while I'm saying it, because I haven't had a panic attack in like over a year which is something that is just n not something I thought I would ever be able to say. Like having one, not having one in two days would have been a breakthrough for me. So that being able to say that is, yeah, uh, there's a lot of factors that plays into this. A lot of factors. It's not just the medication. It's not just the therapy. It's not just those two. It's stopping uh, alcohol. It is taking better care of myself. It is prioritizing my mental wellness in general um healing relationships there's so much that goes into that but anyway i'm rambling um so in terms of just where i am uh skulk i 100 connected with the invoicing thing <laughs> like 100 oh yeah you're a freelancer now as well i forgot yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and oh man it's, uh where are we now august august was a rough month i struggled to find my footing because after essentially working for one client or a company um, for almost 12 years, it was so, so different 
to not be in that world anymore that I just had so much trouble finding my feet. And then I had this total guilt slash um, imposter syndrome thing where I was like, I know I did a bunch of work and a bunch of hours, but I just don't feel comfortable invoicing because this thing that I've been working on, it hasn't landed yet. So I wouldn't invoice and I wouldn't invoice. And then the money wouldn't come in when it's supposed to. And then your credit card starts bouncing because you don't have enough money in your credit card. And you're like, oh, I should have invoiced. So I totally get that. I 100% get that. And then I spoke to somebody that, um, that's been doing startups for a while. And, and they said like, you know what? It, you're handling this the same way you handle confrontation by avoiding. And you're doing damage in two areas when you do that. First of all, you're doing damage to yourself because now you have money problems and when you when you have money money is not a problem but when money is a problem it's the main focus in your life it just takes everything it takes over everything Um, and from a client's perspective it's much better for them to have a weekly invoice than have these random invoices come in sometimes it's a week sometimes it's two weeks sometimes it's three days and if they're not happy with paying the invoice they'll tell you so you know his advice was Pick a day invoice, and if the client's unhappy with it, they will let you know. They will say, "Why? Well, I don't feel like I don't understand these hours and what we've seen. It doesn't. We can't connect those two. And how? And and then on top of that, just hope, hope ugh, keep an open line of communication. Um, so I'm doing that now. I've picked a day and I'm just invoicing on, on that day. I'm just clicking the button and just this is okay. This is what I have to do. So it's it's really hard. So. Um, So yeah, it's been, the last two weeks have been really stressful. Like the first of the month is coming up and I'm like, am I going to have enough money to pay for everything? Like medical aid is really expensive, you know, and car payments and uh, I had to take out a loan when I started the business. So it was touch and go there for a while and I was very, very, very stressed. But um, it's better now. It's better now. I I feel like I've made it. I pulled it off. I pulled another rabbit out of a hat. So, and I learned a lot. But yeah, so very stressful, but I, I, I'm doing okay now. So yeah, and with that, I'm going to hand it over to Bhavani to introduce herself. Yeah, I actually wanted to do a quick intro of her, but um, let, let me squeeze one in quickly and then, then we can give over to her. So um, yeah, I just want to give a bit of context. So I, when was it? It was a couple of months ago already. Um I, I spoke at DevConf, um, so at the Cape Town leg, uh, at the Cape Town Convention Center. Um, so I think I mentioned this previously, but so I kind of spoke about mental health and mental illness um, and my own journey and how I make sense of kind of my own struggles in the tech industry and, and, and so forth. And, you know, like just how I make sense of mental health, like in, like in the tech industry itself because you know spoiler with the the state of mental health across the industry is really really bad it's probably even worse than you 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 would imagine um and uh, Bhavani came to speak to me afterwards and you know so a couple of people came to speak to me uh, just either saying like thanks for you know being vulnerable kind of that really resonated with me but I, I think what, what I found very interesting in, in terms of kind of what we spoke about afterwards is um like she was more interested in her role as a manager, like how she can assist and help her team. Um, and I, I, I think that is 
so, so, so immediately I thought like, cool, okay, like this is someone I definitely want on the podcast for two reasons. Um, firstly, being that I think there's not enough like people in managerial positions um, kind of taking mental health into consideration. So I think just discussing that and, and kind of someone sharing the positive experiences and kind of like the the fact that there are people like that out there is, is, is just a, a common good. And, and the other thing is as well is I'm increasingly um, – becoming more interested in that specific space i before we started i, I told scott Niedling and i said you know it we, we can have someone you know like so both of us are suffering from mental health um bavani also has her own story that she can tell as well i just said suffering from mental health <laughs> well i guess we are suffering from mental health the good and the bad um and we can complain the whole day about how life is unfair and what a struggle it is. Um, but I think the really interesting conversations are at the intersections where you that is a reality. But then there's also the realities of being a manager and having other people on that team and being accountable to people. And, you know, there being like certain boundaries in terms of what is acceptable. And it's not a it's not a personal, you know, relationship. It's not, you know, I... Yeah, like I, I generally advise people to not make their work environment their support network and so forth. But, you know, like it's it's an interesting dynamic. And I, I think that kind of there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had there, um, which is why like I'm super keen to be having more of these type of conversations. Um, but yeah, like I think with that, uh, Bhavani, like I'm happy to hand over to you um, to give a bit of introduction in terms of like who you are individually and kind of work-wise where you find yourself. So you work at one of the big like uh, South African like tech payment providers. Um, I'm happy for you to decide whether you actually want to call them by name um, and so forth and kind of like speak a bit about your own journey and in terms of your experience there in terms of the interplay between people working in tech and where mental health enters into that conversation. Yep. So with all of that... I'm handing over to you. Thank you, Skulk, for that uh, great intro. Um, so yeah, as Skulk said, uh, I'm Bhavani. I'm an engineering manager. I'm I'm happy to to say where I work. I work at Peach Payments. I think predominantly the the stuff we'll discuss today. Uh, I I don't know if we do disclaimers here, <laughs> but you know, for one, I think I've heard you guys say before we're not medical professionals. I'm not, but also I'd like to say that um, you know I might mention a few things that I'm trying at Peach, uh, but yeah, not not trying to talk on behalf of the company at all. Uh, so yeah, I work in payments. Uh, before I became a manager, I was a Ruby on Rails dev. Um, at some point, I became a tech lead in that space. Uh, I I found that I gradually kept moving into more of a managerial position. I did some of it for for a bit where, you know, there was a manager on leave and they needed some help. So I helped out a bit. And what I found is that all the work I was doing to kind of improve myself in the mental health space was becoming almost my strength in that regard. So I've I do a lot of work in my own sort of personal self-development. And then the things I'd learned when I explained them to somebody else who was maybe more junior to me, I found that it was really helping them. And why did it help them? Potentially because um, 
maybe I'm general. I am generalizing here. We work. I work with a lot of introverted people, and I'm very introverted myself. And so there was some kind of general understanding. Um, a lot of people I work with have things like imposter syndrome, anxiety. Some do have depression, and so there was some kind of link between what I was doing to help myself and then how it could help other people. Um, I think I've I've had anxiety and depression probably since I was about fourteen, um, roughly, and I was I've been on medication, so I'm also on Venlo. Um, I was on meds for about seven, eight years, or I say was, I am still on them, I had to go back on them. Um, I've been in therapy for about the same amount of time as well, and it's just been, it's been so valuable. Um, but something else that, that made the picture more clear to me and for me to understand why, why I'm dealing with these feelings was in 2020, I was diagnosed with autism, and that kind of put the last piece uh, in this puzzle of my life together where I was like, oh, this makes sense now. Uh, there's been this constant feeling in my life of not fitting in or not being like other people or not understanding, being on the outside. And that's where some of my anxiety and depression came from, that feeling of you're, you're not what the world wants. You know, you're not worthy or you are not part of this group. You don't fit in here. That's what kind of triggered a lot of my anxiety and the anxiety I think then led to depression because I couldn't, didn't know how to handle it. Um, but yeah, I think on the positive side, me working through all of this stuff for myself, me learning to take care of myself has given me some tools that help me take care of, and maybe take care is not the right word, you know, because boundaries are very important, but it's helped me guide people. Um, it's had, helped me guide my team uh, I've had some experiments that I've tried in management that, you know, I'm still kind of trying to assess if they work or not. I think it's a tough thing because different things will work for different people. Um, but what I'm hoping with, you know, speaking and telling my story here uh, is that maybe it resonates with one or two people and they're like, actually, that m might work for me. I want to go try that. Or maybe I'll try that with my team and it'll help somebody. Um, I think that's maybe the goal here of I I because I've always feel so different I I have this idea in my head that maybe there's one person <laughs> maybe not more than one but there's like one person out there who's like I'm like you as well um and that one person I I want them to know that they're not alone and there are things that that can help uh, I will just mention a lot of my anxiety is social anxiety talking to people so being here, being on the podcast already, it's kind of a big deal for me, like, you know, uh, me stepping outside of my comfort zone and also me going to you, Skulk, during DevConf. Uh, it's not something I would have done a year ago, but because this topic's something that I, that I do care about, I pushed myself of like, you know, this is important. Just the bit of anxiety you feel, it, it'll get you somewhere uh, greater than this fear I have. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, I think, yeah, that kind of is the check-in of how I am today. Nervous. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, you're doing a phenomenal job. <laughs> but for what it's worth, for what it's worth, like like this isn't live, so we can always edit. Um, if there's anything um, you want afterwards to be like, I've definitely been in those, like in a in a place like that. So just as a quick disclaimer. Um, even at my DevConf talk, you know, there was some Q&A afterwards and I actually asked uh, Robert to remove some of the stuff there from the recording. Uh, purely just because, you know, like in the moment I answered some, I, I spoke about some experience and whatever. And then afterwards I kind of realized I, I told the story and I didn't necessarily have that person's permission to share that. Um, I didn't call them by name or whatever, but if they were to watch my talk, they would immediately know I'm talking about them. Um, so that's always, that door is always open, you know, if there's anything, or even if yourself, if you misspeak or whatever. So I hope that's a bit calming. <laughs> you know, the same applies to me as well. Uh, Scott Nietling is the, he's the person you should speak to if you want to change anything afterwards. Um, yeah, like, oh man, this is phenomenal. Like, I, I also want to say, like, there's so many things, like, there's so many aspects of, like, stuff you just mentioned and also the conversation that we had where I just, I don't even know where to start. There's so much great stuff here. Um, but I, I think a good one would be, like... I think it's also what I found very helpful. And one of the reasons why we're doing this is because I think when I started out in tech, um, because obviously people don't talk openly about their own struggles and so forth, you kind of almost don't necessarily realize that there are people that can navigate the space, you know, that had, that are dealing with these type of things. You kind of think like someone like me doesn't have a chance, you know, I should go and, you know, like I'm good with this tech stuff, but I, 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 I you know, like there's no way I'm going to make it. Like I, I, I have so much imposter syndrome already around the coding, you know, never mind actually just being like quote unquote a, norm, a neurotypical person. And I also want to add as well, like it's it's interesting that you kind of mentioned the autism thing. I think that's not something we spoke about uh, when we spoke at the conference. Um, so I didn't know that about you. But I've actually over the last couple of years been wondering whether like I'm not on the spectrum somewhere. Um, that would explain so much in my life. And I think when I tell that to people now, they're like, no, but Skulk, you know, you, you're so well-spoken and you know, whatever. But like, it's like, you, are, you do you know like how much I had to learn to just engage with people and not make them uncomfortable? Um, like, Sure. Like in my early 20s, I did some strange stuff. I said some strange stuff in conversations. And now looking back at it, I'm like, man. Um, yeah, like, and I think also something like, like autism and so forth, like I think is much more rife in like the tech industry and so forth, because, uh, you know, like that way of thinking is actually rewarded in, in, in tech, you know, thinking very systematically, thinking very mechanically and so forth. Um, so like, I think that there's a lot more people in the tech industry um, that kind of, at the very least have autistic tendencies um, because, you know, it is a spectrum. You know, so like it's, it's there's not a threshold where, um, and for me myself at this point in my life, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, I'm semi well adjusted now, but you know, but I think you would have been much more helpful for me earlier in my life, like knowing something like that, it would have explained a lot more. So, um, which is why I'm all for also, you know, kind of destigmatizing that as well. 
because I think when I was in my early 20s, like, it's, it's, it wasn't like there wasn't any real awareness about it. It was just like, oh, this is something that other people have. Um, you know, this isn't something that I'm considering that maybe I have some tendencies towards this thing or so forth. I'm just weird, you know. I'm just like weird. Like there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just weird. Um, but yeah, so I'm super curious. Um, Skulk Nettling, unless you want to jump in and maybe, I think that's maybe a good place to start. I, I have some questions, but I think because you haven't met Pavania before, I think it's maybe good for you to maybe give a, initial stab in terms of questions that you might have and things that you find interesting and then i can maybe just continue on top of that yeah so i'm happy for you to give over to you and see if you have any questions yeah sure thank you um i think for me um what i'd like to touch on a little bit is um Bavani, you've mentioned a couple of of um keywords so to speak that that all um boil down to the same uh, theme, which is um, the sense of feeling alone in, in the, the challenges that you're facing. And it's so interesting to think about it from that perspective. And I totally get it. I 100% get it. Um, and when you do find that one other person or um, group of people, which is even, even more impactful sometimes, that that just sounds like they're telling you a story. It is such a relief when you hear that. Oh, it's not just me. Oh, I'm not broken. I'm not this outcast in society. Because I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to dig into this. So I don't want to don't want to add too much to it. But um, just a way of saying, like, I've definitely experienced that. I still experience that. Um, and I did experience that in the last month or so because I struggled with this whole concept of whether I do have ADHD or whether there's something else that is surfacing itself as ADHD um, and, it's, and then feeling alone in like, how do, I, how, do I, how do I make peace with this? Or how do I find the answer? Is there the answer? You know, it's like the circular... Um, uh, recursive function that's running in my head to to bring the tech into mental health and tech. <laughs> um, so yeah, I the one I that crashes the browser. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> the, the slow pen, like Lex Friedman said, the slow Pentium computer in my head. Um, so I would love for you to dig into that that whole thing about feeling alone, feeling like it's only me that's going through this whole thing. And if you've had anything in your life so far that you found that has helped you not feel so alone and so like the world wasn't meant f isn't made for you um would love that to you know for you to share anything that that's helped you yeah thanks uh great question i think and it is something that's important for me to to talk about as well because what i imagine is that there's a lot of people that have this feeling for whatever reason uh, feeling of being alone. Um, in my little world, I used to think it was just me and I'm weird and I'm different. Um, but the more I've spoken about what I'm dealing with and talked to therapists and made more connections, the more I've found that everyone has their version of feeling alone. And some people have ways of coping with it that doesn't fix that lonely part of them 
It just, okay, I'm going to hang out with my friends all the time. It didn't fix that feeling that they have inside. And why it felt more predominant for me is because I'm very introverted. I am a bit of a lone wolf. So I don't have a lot of people around. I live alone. I live with my two dogs um, who I relate to better than I relate to people. Um, and so the, there's a feeling in my head where the, the logic part of my brain is, well, you are alone. You don't have this family structure, friends around all the time, kids, all of that. So then my logical mind's like, yeah, the data's showing you are alone. Other people don't have that, but they still might have that feeling. And I think I've learned that that, that feeling is the thing that matters. Um, what is causing me to feel alone is in, okay, so here's where maybe I think sometimes I, my perspective of the world is different to others. I see a lot of things I've dealt with as internal things. They might have been caused by external things. And so they're not my fault and I don't blame myself. And this is work I've done to, to get to that point. I don't blame myself, but the solution is internal for me, at least, I think, predominantly. That feeling of being lonely, um, I don't know if it's an objective reality that I am lonely, I'm alone, there's no one there. It's a, predominantly for me, it's a feeling I have because of how I've experienced my childhood. And that's how my brain was wired of... I got enough messages from the world that you don't fit here, you're not part of us, that I internalized this, I'm alone, I'm different, I'm different, I'm different. And what's been so helpful for me in my journey in therapy and reading books and finding any resource I can to like grow my myself spiritually, I've found that um, I, I have to reparent myself um, my therapist has been so helpful with this and, and so it's not something I feel like I can tell people this is how you do it um, it's years ongoing and it's still something I'm working on now um, but I need to be my own companion I need to accept myself I need to learn to be my own friend if I'm not my own friend then that's when I feel lonely because I'm almost rejecting myself and it is quite complicated in my head and, and I go through phases where I work on it a bit and I get somewhere. So the most recent one for me is is I've worked on, on this feeling where there's this thing called internal family systems um, or my therapist calls it parts work that's been so helpful to me because she's explained the theory of it and I might not explain it perfectly, but, you know, as children, we don't know how to adapt to the world that's 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 around us, and we might have pain, and we might have uh, trauma, and there's a part of us that splits into I'm going to take care of this. There's a past part of our personality that's like I'm going to protect you from these things, and we might find that as an adult, that part of us is not serving us anymore, and that part of me that's telling me you're different, you're weird, you're alone used to serve a purpose, but doesn't anymore. I think what that part of my brain was doing then is telling me, you're different, you're weird, you need to change to fit in. It was an adaptive thing of survival. If I started to act like other people and mask my autism or my whatever I'm dealing with, that was survival at that point and maybe that worked and that's how I survived through that. There's a part of me now having to go back and say, okay, well, that doesn't work anymore. 
we're not in that world anymore. I have to reparent, re-talk to myself. I'm not alone. I have me. I have myself. At minimum, that's that's in a lot of ways that can be enough. Um, I still am working on my friendships and, and relationships to other people because it is something I want in my life. But if that foundation is missing and I'm rejecting myself, I think that's where a lot of the loneliness comes from. Um, but but even me saying that, I know it's hard. Like, it's really, I to this day, like, I still struggle with it. Um, but it's but it's an avenue worth taking, I think. Um, because if you if you learn to accept yourself as hard and many years as it might take you, what others are saying and doing has less power over you. Um, I don't know if it'll ever not hurt. I don't know if I'll ever be like, oh, I don't care what you guys think. But I'm definitely in a better space than than what I was before I knew my diagnosis and understood none of this is my fault. Uh, I'm perfectly, you know, worthy of being here. Um, I'm good at, you know, I think I'm good at what I do. <laughs> I'm a valuable member of society. and And for me to accept that, helps a lot with the loneliness that was quite an insightful moment right there um which i think speaks to uh quite a bit of what you just mentioned there and it is where you you wanted to acknowledge that you are good at what you do but then you've immediately stepped back and said i think i'm good at what i do um i can i can you know, it, it, that's me. That's me. Like my wife would say, you know, you work hard and you do so much and you're, you know, very proud of yourself. And I, I, I find it extremely hard to just take it at that. I always feel like I have to say, yeah, well, I, you know, I'm trying to do my best. I don't know how good I'm. I'm glad you think I'm doing well. I'm not so sure about it. It's, it's immediately you want to, you want to take that positive thing and just spend it a little add a little bit of negativity to it it's, it's i didn't it's this negativity bias that our brain has that i'm still trying to understand but it was interesting for me i just wanted to comment on that because you know i i yeah i get it do you mind i uh, just uh one comment i had on that because i've been dealing with some imposter syndrome recently and i had a bit of a breakthrough with it uh the the same uh the loneliness thing the the part of me that's split out to protect is the same part that's criticizing me a lot for my work as well, of like, you didn't do it right. It's the same thing because there's a sense of, you know, I grew up with, with parents that were really, had really high standards and they wanted me to know stuff before I've learned it in school. Like, oh, why don't you know this yet? Or let's learn trigonometry. Oh, you want to start a candle business? Yeah, you need to learn accounting. I just wanted to do my fun things. <laughs> like I had a family that was like doing doing this. There's a part of me that formed to protect myself to first tell me, you better do the stuff before the family comes in and tells you to do the stuff. And that was a protective thing. I started to get praise because there was a part of me criticizing and saying, you better get your act together before other people come at you. Um, and I think what I find really interesting is we don't have to be ashamed that that part exists because it was there for a reason and it's actually there to help us. Sure, now maybe we're finding it, it's not always helping, but it's, I've, I found it so helpful to, to acknowledge it's not bad that we're this way. Like, mm. we're doing our best. Our brains have done its best to, like, protect us. Mm. 
Yeah, that's that's really great, and I I think I can. So it's very interesting. I I don't necessarily struggle that much with the, um, you know, oh you're doing a good job, and me going like, nah, it's actually not that good. And I think it's maybe I'm just more acutely aware of all the areas where I really suck. Uh, so I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm actually pretty good at this. Like you know, hey. Um, one thing that I do have, though, is, is is kind of like not wanting to be a burden on people. So um, I like, you know, like someone asked, like, you know, how, how are you doing? And I, I, I might push myself to be honest and be like, sure, man, like it's, I'm really having a hard time. But then immediately I'd like backtrack and I'd be like, yeah, but it's going to be OK. You know, it's just temporary. I'd almost solve it for myself so that they don't have to worry about me or whatever. And it's, it's interesting how everyone's kind of wired in different ways around that. Um, like, but I, I think, as you mentioned, and I, I think Skulk and I had this week on, on LinkedIn kind of almost like a, a similar discussion where, um, for me, one of the big breakthroughs for me was um, kind of this idea um, like of, of of yourself almost as a community and not as a single entity um you know and and this isn't like this is a like a this is a psychological fact you know like it's it's you know like it's 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 i i guess it's fact is the wrong word it's a it's kind of a lens it's a paradigm um you know like you can't hypothetically you can't empirically prove it but like i think there's a lot of people in psychology and and and, and neuro neurology <laughs> neuro oh i can't pronounce it the 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 neuro thing um my afrikaans is letting me down here um that kind of Think about like us as a community of you know entities, like not as a singular, and you know, and that kind of like actually explains also a lot of behavior where it's like you want two different things at the same time, or there are parts of you that are of a certain type, and there are other parts of you that are of a different type, and there are parts of you that are contradictory. Um, and, you know, even just thinking about like our conscious and our subconscious, that's a reality. You know, there's a part of us that, you know, is like is, 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 is a different entity than like the part of me that's speaking right now and focusing. Um, and, you know, like so that to me and like I really like this idea that you said you're never really alone, actually, because I think that's something that helped me a ton. Like I think I struggled a lot with alienation. No, not necessarily loneliness, but you know, almost this idea, and it 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 it, it interplays so nicely with some of the stuff that you mentioned, where you know it's almost like you're in a foreign country, and you can't speak the language, and you try and express things to people, and you try and tell people about things that are really deep and important, and you feel very strongly, but you don't know how to speak the same language as they, them, in order to how do you translate all these things you're feeling into language they can understand. Um, and I think for me for a very long time, that was very alienating. You know, it's like, it's almost, there's a part of me that I can't even express. I don't have the words to talk about these things I'm feeling. Um, yeah, and but like, I really like this, once again, this idea of yourself as a, as a com community of, of, of almost entities or minds. Um, and like, I, I also listened to a podcast at some point. I think, sure, what was it? I think it was uh, Mental Illness Happy Hour uh, by Paul Gilmartin, where there was also someone who said, like, you're actually never alone. You're like, it's, you, you have all these aspects 
within yourself that are talking to one another. Um, so I found that very, very interesting. Um, so what I'm curious about, and, you know, like, so you, you mentioned, you know, like, uh, you have a bit of a history in terms of things that kind of formed you and so forth. Um, and I think all of us go through this period where at some point we realize that I think you take a lot of it for granted. And I think for myself, for a very long time, I was just like, oh, this is just how everyone is. Like everyone is just like every single day, they kind of just feel like they don't want to live anymore. And just through sheer willpower, they just push through it. And, you know, and I'm just weaker. I just can't push through it like as, as much as they can. Um, and then, you know, one day you kind of realize, wait, like other people don't feel this way. Other people don't have to concentrate when they type in an email, concentrate against like intrusive thoughts that are like, I don't want to live. I don't want to live. You know, other people can just sit and focus on the email and not worry about like whether they want to live or not. Um, so I'm curious for you personally, where, how that came about, where you kind of maybe realized that, you know, my, there's something here, like, you know, um, you started exploring maybe therapy and, and, and so forth. So I'm curious about that. Yeah. Um, so there were two phases of it because I, I kind of knew something was wrong. Um, like I said, when I was about 14, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what the word depression was. So and also in my family, we didn't really talk about mental health as even a topic. Um, you know, I was just told you're very negative. People used to just tell me, so you're always complaining, you're very negative. Um, I think that when I was older and I had friends that that cared about me in university, uh, you know, the idea of, oh, therapy could help you came across. Because at that point, maybe in my, you know, let's say when I'm about 19, 20 years old, I start feeling depressed to the point where I'm having these very negative thoughts, like self-harm kind of thoughts. And at that point, it becomes quite obvious that you need something. So then I'd have, you know, friends recommend, hey, maybe you should see someone. But I didn't understand the depth of it. So I went a few times and stopped going because I thought, oh, I, oh, that was just a temporary thing. I fixed it. Um, so there was a bit of on and off of me going and thinking, I'm done. I'm done now. I'm better. But what really triggered the proper, like, me deciding, okay, this is real now. I have to put a lot of effort into um, I mean, we're getting quite deep here. This is actually when um, when I was 28, my father passed away. Uh, and it, even me saying it, it sounds a bit almost cliche of then that changed my life. But but it actually, that is literally what happened. Um, the, the concept of somebody dying triggered a lot for me because there was some level of I felt like I was one, living to impress him, and so built my world around how am I going to impress him. So there was one part of, he's not here, so now who am I doing this for? There was the sense of, did he enjoy his life? Did he, did he feel fulfilled? And at the time, I was at a job I was really unhappy at. And maybe that's, I mean, it's, I was depressed, so, you know, would I enjoy anything when I'm depressed? But I also, it made me reconsider, am I living my life? The way I need to, um, because the cliche of life is short came, came at me very strongly. Where I was just like, I can't do this. I'm miserable here. Do I, wa do I want to be in tech? This is the time where I was like, I do I want to be in tech anymore? Um, because 
the environment I was around was just not aligning with my values because at the time I didn't know what my values were. It it set me on this journey of self-discovery that's been so important. And even though it was like a really dark time for me, it forced me. It, it got me to my my version of rock bottom. I had no choice. I had to figure out my life. I resigned from that job. I had to think about what do I want to do with my life? What kind of job do I actually want to work in? Um, it led me to finding healthier work environments uh, because I started to know this is what I don't want what I'm having here in this situation. I want something different. What does that look like? What are the kinds of leaders I want to follow? And I found some of it was sort of coincidence and, you know, uh, destiny, I'm sure, of finding some people that did align more with what I wanted. And then I started to enjoy work. And so it was a slow process of me knowing, who am I? What do I want? Let me go try those things. And as I did it slowly, mentally, I started feeling better. The medication, 100%. That was, I'm not going to lie and say that, that then everything worked out. The meds was a big part of it. Um, once a week therapy, uh, you know, for that, you know, since 28 to now, uh, I'm still doing it. Um, you know, and I think I I did have colleagues that were going through similar things. So there was some some sense of I wasn't completely alone. But I saw people were dealing with things in a healthier way. And I was like, wait, this is where I want to be. I want to work in a place where they care about mental health as a topic, where company culture matters, where, you know, how we treat each other matters. I think that when I started working in tech, it was a time where I would be the only female coder on the team, potentially. Maybe the only, you know, person of color on the team. And culturally, the difference in the way people would talk to you was very different. Um, for whatever reason, I felt like people weren't as kind when I was a junior, when I was starting out. There was a bit more of a I'm not going to admit I don't know something and I'm going to laugh at you because you don't know something because I'm senior and I know things. And so I went through, you know, maybe two jobs where that was the culture and made me miserable to finding a culture that was way more uplifting and about you don't know something. Thank you for telling me you don't know. That's so cool. That's so brave of you for, for telling me, you know what, I'm going to help you learn this thing. And everything was framed in a much more positive way where oh, you did something well, thank you, that was great. Here's how I can help you learn more. But it's not a, I'm in a, so let's say we're doing code reviews. It's not like a, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. There was more of a, I really like what you did here. That was really interesting. Can you tell me more about this? And it was a mixture of like, okay, so I would get acknowledged for the things I was doing well. And then maybe there's a thing I need to improve and there's some switch in my head that went on and was like, wait, I'm actually good at this tech stuff. I wanted to quit it before because I felt such negativity towards me. I remember there was a time at the job I wasn't enjoying where I didn't know some command and my tech lead was like, ooh, you better not tell the DevOps team they're going to laugh at you because you don't know this. It was an environment where like, I wasn't able to learn stuff because I was so afraid to not know the answer. Versus where I'm at now, or even my job before this, where you don't know, tell us. Thank you for telling. Don't pretend you don't know something. 
that we don't reward that. That's not that's not what we're aiming for. Tell us you don't know. We trust you more now because we know you're honest. Um, and we'll help you learn the thing you need to learn. And through that, we're sharing and connecting and communicating. Um, so that's partly how I un also understood that maybe this management thing is something I want to do because I resonated with this different approach, this uplifting, empowering way of dealing with humans and knowing how when I felt really bad, I didn't do the best work. I really didn't. And when some people saw something good in me and pointed it out, these very senior people, something switched on in my brain and I started doing better because they saw potential. Now, sure, you know, now, now the problem for me is to not have that need, that external uh, message from them. But when I was younger, that's what I really needed. It, it helped me. It, it helped me believe in myself. And that's kind of what I want to do for other people now as the manager. I want to be that person that I didn't always have. Um, early on in, 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 wow, I think I'm rambled on to a whole different topic now. So, <laughs> no, it's amazing. Like, like keep it's, going, please. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's about, about where my train of thought ended. <laughs> that's so many good things in there. Um, Skulk, if I can just jump in. Um, Go for it. <laughs> Just talking specifically about the code review stuff, so um, which is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I am so uh, gung-ho for open source and the communities inside there. And I know that um, you mentioned being the only female on the team, being the only person of color on the team. And I know that's a big problem in open source at the moment still, um, where the diversity in communities like this is not great always. Um, more often than not, it's not, it's not great. Let's be honest about it. Um, there's some projects that's really um, going out of their way to do to do this better, but unfortunately, it's still the minority. Um, and some of it is not necessarily intentionally. It happens just because there's a culture that doesn't recognize the signals they put out that is pushing people away. Um, and some of this is literally language and the way people speak. Um, and I think that there's two th interesting things there. I think f the first thing is um, I 100% agree with that idea of when you're doing a review, call out the good stuff as well as the not so good. Um, don't just highlight all the things that uh, that you have to click the request changes checkbox before you submit your review. Also include some things that the person did well. And I think this goes for everyone, I think it's it's especially important for early stage folks, but um, because it's so easy to just lose motivation if every time you open a pull request, people just pick apart all the things that you could have done better or did wrong. Um, because some of that is also subjective. Some of that is a lot of that is down to experience and not so much um, your knowledge of the language or anything. A lot of it's context around the product itself. So. Um, some of the stuff is just you wouldn't know that there's a better way to do this because there's this utility function you had no idea existed. Um, so it's also how you phrase the, the things that you point out that isn't correct. I'm putting in air quotes. Um, one thing that I found that that is, and it's not me that came up with that. I can't remember where I, I picked this up, but it's kind of ending your, your comment about what do you think? 
So you're not making this a statement of fact, but you're opening a conversation. It's like, here's some stuff that you could have done differently. What do you think? Like, do you think I'm, I'm, I'm wrong? Because I could be. So you, you're opening the door to that without explicitly stating it. You're kind of opening the door by asking that question. It's like, I think this, but what do you think? Um, and then, yeah, calling out the, the, the good things also, I think that is so, so important. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to mention, um, yeah, it was just representation. It's it's such a tricky thing because I, rem- I remember a long time ago, uh, I, I, so, um, this show, uh, no, I remember, forget, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So, um, yeah, everybody's smiling, so I guess you, you know the show. Yeah, well smart, <laughs> right? So, um, the reason that, I, I might have mentioned this in one of the previous episodes, maybe I, it was somewhere else, but anyway, um, it bears restating. So, uh, the reason, one of the reasons that show was so popular is because it was an all-black um, cast, and there was different levels of society represented within that community. So there was the the uncle that was this rich person living in Bel Air, super well, lawyer, and and then you had the butler. So they themselves had a butler that was also a person of color. And then you had Will coming in and bringing in his friend that kept being thrown out the house that had this, there was this other you know, how the stereotypical African-American. And so it opened this world where African-American people could see themselves in the show, but they could also see the wide variety of roles they could play in society. It's not just a show of poor people getting a break and becoming rich. It's not like um, Stanford and Sons where it's like these people running like a little trash store that secondhand store with car parts and stuff it's everything it's the whole spectrum of life it's like very very rich it's like working for the rich it's like being living here going to a very uh high cost university or school because you have these rich parents and then everything in between and i think that is that made me finally understand why representation is so important it's because if you don't see it you don't think it's you're capable of going there it takes these people that really just like rosa parks and people like that who are just these people that in a moment of such bravery just decided to stand up for themselves and through that they created this representation that others could then grab onto and say i have i have a hero i have somebody that can pull me so i think um i think that is so important and what I also wanted to get to, this is actually what I wanted to get to, is I think senior people have the responsibility to sometimes, as a friend of mine, Peter, would say, take a punch to the face or a punch to the ego and pretend you don't know something to open the door for others to also ask questions. Because now if the senior dev is saying, wait, uh, this acronym you just used, what does that mean? I don't know. And then somebody explains it. Now the junior or the mid-level person is like, oh my goodness, this senior dude didn't know. I knew what that meant. Now suddenly you feel like, oh, oh, okay, cool. And you will be more open to do that. But it is very cultural. And it's so important that we, we just break down those barriers and you know allow for all of this within our in our companies. 
Mm. I th- that's that's amazing, and I, I I think like it's like you know it, it's also like so that last thing you mentioned about you know competency and and and, and so forth. I I think what 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 I find really like helpful is not to think about it linearly. Um, you know, like um, and I think this has been a big re- revelation for me in some areas is uh, with my students. Like some of my students are like understand some things better than I do um, and I I think that's also kind of been what has helped me a lot with imposter syndrome is just like I think I never overcame it I, I think it's just I just realized how little everyone else knew um, and you know you 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 start doing contract work for these big companies and whatever and you're like what on earth are you guys doing like this is madness. Um, and then you kind of realize no one really knows what they're doing. Everyone's just trying to figure it out. Um, and because that's the interesting thing. You mentioned, you know, like you, you should point out the good and so forth. I've had some managers in my life where it's a, it's a tricky thing because it, like you, you can immediately pick up when it's superficial. Um, when it doesn't come from a place of like real appreciation. When it doesn't come from a, when it's just like, oh, you know, like me being polite or whatever and it doesn't come from like wow dude you know um yo it's tricky um but yeah no 100% like geez like we can do an entire episode just just in terms of um you know like people who don't fit the 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 the, what would be the word the stereotypical like white middle class male in tech um you know and those numbers are like insane it's like something like in the 90s in terms of representation or something, um, yeah, um, yeah, and I, like like so, Obavani, uh, you know, like I, I, I can imagine how it must be like you know, have, having you know like kind of things around like autism and, and and mental health and so forth, and then having that element as well, because you know it's very easy for me to say, oh, you know, uh, you know, I felt like I felt the sense of alienation and whatever. But then on the outside, I still very much look like, you know, a, a, like a Mark Zuckerberg or a, like whoever, you know. Um, so, geez, we can do an entire episode just on that. Um, so from my side, one thing I'm very curious about is, so uh, you mentioned, you know, like kind of in the team that you're managing, you know, like uh, you tried some experiments and stuff and, you know, you're trying to be more encouraging and, 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 and so forth. I'm curious, like, what that experience has been like. Um, if you, if there's anyone maybe listening to this who's like, you know, I'm in some type of managerial position um, and I want to really assist the people on my team positively when it comes to mental health, what would be advice that you would give? Um, yeah, so, you know, before we started the call, I, I mentioned that it's quite tough because advice is a tricky thing. Um, but I, I'm happy to share a few things that I'm trying. Um, and they're not, they're really not revolutionary at all, but it's, it's more like intentional of, I make time to, to try these things. So like one of the things I do, um, with, with the people that report to me is I do a mood meter. So, I mean, I found one on the internet and then, you know, a block of moods and then um, 
there kind of is an axis of, you know, how much, how energetic you're feeling. So the, the feelings are kind of grouped in a low energy feeling, high energy feeling, and positive and negative feeling. And look, sure, I mean, the wording of positive and negative, we can go into that. Is, is I'm a bit iffy about what we term a negative emotion, but my start my check-ins with a how are you feeling. Um, and I kind of keep that as a record of like, so I can kind of see, oh, they've been in the, the, the negative low energy space for like three weeks now. Um, maybe something needs to be done. Um, and, and the one that, I mean, I have a few things around this of, it's not a point of judging the feeling they have and they can have multiple feelings because sometimes you can feel happy and sad at the same time about two different things. So why I do that, um, this is this part of this comes from from my own autism. We have this convention in society. I don't know if it's South Africa or the world or whatever, but this "Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you?" thing makes no sense to me. I intellectually get it, like rationally, like oh, it's it's a con it's a cultural convention thing we do, but it 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 breaks my brain a bit because do we mean how are you actually? Or are we, am I supposed to say I'm good, thanks, how are you? Is that the greeting? Is it a dance or is it a, do you want to know? So I want to avoid that in my in my sessions of how are you? And then they say I'm good, thanks, how are you? And that's the end of the how are you chicken. So how are you really? Take some time, think about it. We're not here to judge. Um, it's more for us to, for us to acknowledge that maybe you're not okay or maybe you really are okay. And that tells me about, the stuff that we're doing as a team maybe you're really happy because the team did something great and I want to highlight that and I want to see how can we have more of those days maybe there's something that's stressing you out that means I as a manager have to change something in our process or you're upset because uh, something in something some conflict happened in the team and I have to figure out okay how can I help manage you through that so that helps me so that's not a generic, I'm fine, I have nothing to talk about today, goodbye. It helps that a little bit, um, but also because I know from my experience when I started therapy, I didn't know how I was feeling. Um, so not everyone, I mean, I think this is the thing, not everyone's going to find that useful or, or, or feel that that's helpful. I, I, I do get Every now and then someone's hesitant to say how they feel, and that's okay. Then I won't force them. Um, but when I started therapy, I used to say either I'm feeling good or I'm not good. And my therapist challenged me to, to, to use more descriptive words because she's like, I'm not even allowing myself to go there. Because anxious is different to sad, you know? Uh just not good was too big a category where it's like, well, what do we do with that, that information? If I can narrow it down and say, actually, I'm feeling um, nervous because I'm on a podcast today versus I'm not good. What does that mean? Um, and that also just makes me feel more defeated if I just sort of label it something, something that, that big and just judge it as a negative feeling. Um, so that's something I do. Um, you know, I, it's an experiment, um, you know, happy to see how that goes. And if the team tells me like, actually, we don't want to do this anymore, then that's also fine. Um, I think that's the thing of at least my management style. If it works, then we keep doing it. If it doesn't work, no, we throw it away. Like we try something else. Um, but also 
something I mentioned, uh, you know, the thing about uh, being able to say I don't know something, practicing vulnerability with the team, I think that it does help boost their self-esteem when I'm very comfortable saying I don't know something. Or, hey guys, I'm going to ask this. I don't know if this is a stupid question, but like, what does this acronym mean? They can see that like, oh, well, if she's not scared, why should I be scared? Maybe I can be vulnerable myself. Oh, my manager told me she's she's not doing well mentally. She's taking the day to, you know, to rest. Oh, maybe I can also do that. Maybe I'm also allowed to have a, a tough day. Maybe I'm also allowed to be anxious or stressed or whatever. Um, I think that if we if we have this attitude of some things are purely good and purely bad, we get into difficult spaces where then we feel we shame the bad thing. So, oh, you're, you're feeling stressed uh, or you're feeling a bad, bad emotion. You know, that's not a bad thing or a problem. There's a cause for it. And like for me to help you figure out the cause. And I mean, obviously, there's boundaries and limits to what I can actually do. But it's not for me to judge and say like, oh, so you, you're you angry at so-and-so. That's bad. You shouldn't feel anger or you have a bad attitude or let's look on the bright side and be positive. No, you have anger because something happened. Like, let's unpack that and figure out a way that we can tell this person what the impact was on you, why you're feeling the way you're feeling, but in a non-blamey sort of, you know, accusatory way. There was this thing you did, and this is some impact it had on my life, and this is I'm having some difficult feelings around it. It's fine for us to unpack that and talk about that and work through it. I don't want my team to not tell me they're angry because they think, oh, manager's going to judge my, oh, she's going to say I'm so negative in my performance review. You know, it's like no, tell me whatever you're feeling. Tell me how mad you are. Tell me that you, you don't like, oh, you don't want to work with this person anymore. Tell me it, we'll work through it. I won't judge that you had the feeling. And I think that's mirrored because I've had to do that for myself. I, the more I judge the feeling I'm having of like, you shouldn't be feeling like this. You should be better. You should be more positive. There's the saying, um, what you resist persists. And so there's, there's, there's part of that for me of let's, let's get our hands dirty a bit. Let's deal with things. Let's not shame the bad stuff. I mean, I did a, a feedback workshop last week. Um, I don't know if you guys know Radical Candor, the book. Like, we talked to, we talked through that a bit. Yeah. And, like, I yeah. even started by saying the point of this is not to shame any of us for doing it the so-called, like, ineffective ways. We're human. We're going to do it wrong sometimes. We're going to make mistakes. That's fine and it's normal. Um, the conversation about how we can improve doesn't have to be a scolding a scolding one um we're all intelligent people we're doing the things we're doing for probably very sensible reasons um and i think even my own manager i feel like when i go to him and i'm angry or i'm sad or i'm joyful there's no judgment there's no you shouldn't be this or you shouldn't feel this he takes notes and he tries to understand what i'm feeling um sometimes just the fact that I I was given that space, it sometimes that's enough to calm me down. Um, I have a few people like that at work that I can just say, hey, I'm venting, let me vent. And they hear me, 
they acknowledge, yes, it makes sense that you feel that way. I can understand that in your situation that must hurt or must frustrate you. They're not saying, yeah, you're right, you, you, your feelings are very, very rational and logical. They're just like letting me feel what I'm feeling without judgment. And that already like sets me off in a good way to like work through what's going on. I think there's been times where if, if, I, if I felt shamed for doing something, that's when I didn't deal with it the most because I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to even, you know, address it. Um, and so I feel very lucky at the moment because I have people like that that can hold space for me and then I try to do the same for others. Um, you know, we try not to shame each other. We're trying to uplift each other and grow and admit I don't know everything. Um and that's more where I operate from. It's not specifically a I'm going to go fix mental health kind of vibe. It's a how do I want to live? What behaviors do I think are healthy? Can I bring those healthy things I've learned to, to the team? Um, you know, oh, you, you had a complaint about this thing. Do you have an idea of how to fix this thing? Do you want to help us fix it and run with it? And you get the kudos. You know, versus let's sit and complain and complain about something. It's it's it becomes like this sort of um, be the change. It's very be the change uh, vibe, and that's how I manage my team. Um, you say you want to do something, let me help you do it. But then you're gonna do part of it, right? Um, there's ownership there. There's empowerment there. Um, and sometimes we'll fail. And I don't I mean I don't like the word fail. But sometimes we'll get it wrong and, and that's also fine because you're brave enough to try. Like that's that's worth so much more than if you sat on the sidelines and said, well, oh, those people are doing the wrong thing. You were part of trying to fix it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's not so much going deep into, you know, depression or anxiety for me. Um but it's me knowing what are healthier behaviors I've learned um, and trying to like bring those ways of working to, to the people I deal with. Um, it's a much more subtle approach because I don't feel qualified to do, <laughs> to do anything, anything more than that at the moment. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I am trying to remember if I answered the question. <laughs> no, you did. You did. Yeah, yeah. So the question was the question was around like kind of like things, you know, like in terms of experiments and so forth that you are doing um, in terms of managing teams and so forth. And yeah, no, you you very much answered that question. Um, yeah, like it's interesting, you know, like I've, I've kind of been in a lot of similar positions, specifically with students and one thing that I found really helpful is having people trying to get them in a position where they're co-owning the interaction, where, you know, you're not facilitating the interaction. It's not, oh, what do you think? Okay. Yes. It's not like a guided interaction. Um, and in order, the one thing I've found that works really well is kind of pushing the limit a bit in terms of what you, what you are allowed, someone like you is allowed to say in a meeting like this. Um, 
you know, like so that comes across <laughs> that can come across as really bad, you know. <laughs> but like, but like, sure, yeah. You you also need to be attentive, and you know, and it's 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 something you you sometimes you do it well, sometimes you don't do it that well. I've certainly got in trouble before because I maybe disclosed stuff um, that someone below me weren't supposed to know about or whatever, or I was like, yeah, you know what, like, you know, like before I ask them like how they're doing or whatever, I'm like, sure, man, like, like, I'm so mad and frustrated because like I have to teach next week and I still don't know what the topic is going to be like, you know, like, like upper management is really pissing me off right now, you know, and I think immediately someone is like kind of, wow, you know, like, like your manager isn't supposed to say, and yeah, sure, your manager isn't supposed to say that, you know, so it's a, it's a bit of a balance because you know I have gotten in trouble before, but sure, like I, I think the, the 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 effect of that moment of openness, that moment of listen, you're a human being, I'm a human being, I'm pissed off by things, I'm struggling, I'm trying to do my best here. People are making me mad. Like sure, that when you get that connection, like it's just like. Or like 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 the other person just opens up completely, you know. Um, but yeah, like there's a risk there, and thus far, to me, it's been worth the risk. The more often than not, when I overstep that, it's kind of me that gets in trouble. So like, it's not necessarily on the other person. So to me, it's been worth it thus far. Um, but yeah, like it's tricky. It's tricky because I think you go into that, you know, with very specific roles and expectations in terms of, okay, cool. How should your manager act? How should you talk to your manager? Are you allowed to say certain things to your manager and so forth? And I think a lot of times you almost need to work like against that and try and deconstruct that a little bit. Um, but then, you know, like it's also like there are, there's a reason also why some of these things are like, you know, there's a bit of a buffer there in terms of, you know, I'm not necessarily going to, if I'm going through, like, personal struggles or whatever, like, go on about that. But, yeah, it's, it's a tricky balance, but which is, but I feel most people don't even engage with it. Most people aren't even, like, just, like, putting out a little bit and seeing, like, cool, can I maybe break this down a little bit? Uh, they don't even, you know... But yeah, I, I, same as you, I don't know the answer to this. I just know that some, like there have been instances where I kind of pushed uh, the boundaries a bit in terms of what we are allowed to talk about in these meetings, um, where like it's just been like that moment where you just like you're just hum two humans that are talking. Um, but yeah, geez, and and this is the other thing is like you know I always I always say this and I I, I said it during my talk at DevConf as well is you know this whenever you talk about mental health or any of these things it's so hard like you can't ever say even this conversation itself you can't really nicely tie it up and be like cool this is a good place to end it like you're gonna be like yeah we probably need to start ending it like like time's up you know like. Because the thing is, like this is this is such a rich thing to discuss, and it's, it's there's so many new points of discussion that emerge just as you go into it, which is a good thing. But the problem is, there's never a point where you run out of things to discuss, and it's cool. That's a good point to end it off. Um, so yeah, and I think unfortunately we probably need to start looking at maybe ending this off. Um, so maybe in closing, yes, 
Skull, I'll let you actually do that. Like, so you can maybe you can maybe share, and then you can lead us out as well. Um. Well, sure. But I I had one last question that we might derail our plan to end it, but it might not. Oh, um, here we go. All right, <laughs> you get this one. This one's on the house. <laughs> I'm curious what you think about this. Um. So. This relates to everything that you have you just said. Uh, do you think that a lot of that, what can I say in this meeting? How vulnerable can I be? How and when do I bring up this, that, or the other topic? Do you think there's a co correlation, causation between the, the structure of the company and these topics? What I mean by that is you have your typical, very hierarchical, structure company and then you have your more flattened company um, so i do understand the fact that a flat company is a bad idea because there needs to be leadership and ownership around certain things but then you have the the you know very like you go into the phone book and there's like the block on top and then the block on top splits into two and the two splits into four you know very top-down hierarchical structure um so i'm curious about your thoughts on that and for me as a personal anecdote um at mozilla started out as a much more flat organization and over the 12 almost 12 years that i was there it 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 went the wrong way it went the loop went into the triangle um, and I can see a direct correlation between that and how much autonomy people felt they had and how many of the original team left because the way they could speak the way they could be open about their uh, thoughts and feelings but also opinions around topics started to get them into trouble as this triangle started getting taller and taller and taller so i'd be curious if you've had any experience like that as well or just some general uh feelings around that question um so on my side i think i've worked mostly in places that were relatively flat like not completely flat but maybe you have your engineers you have a layer of a few managers and then maybe you have a CTO or a head of engineering. And like for, for that level um, of hierarchy, I found it to be dependent on then the company culture and how open they are about speaking. Um, so in that case, because I've had that's been the same at every company, the difference there was, is this a company that cares about the humans sitting at the computers? Do you think the one influences the other? Um, I'm not sure because I don't really know what it's like. It's a very, like the, the pyramid that you were talking about. I've never worked in that environment, so I don't actually know. I've, I've certainly been surprised both ways. I've, I've worked at a lot of companies uh, that, you know, you have that. And then there's some really amazing stuff happening in, in, in the little notch that you are in. And, and sometimes I think that can be attributed to the fact that it's such a big company. So you're kind of like almost a little bit, you can, you can kind of like disappear in the crowd a bit and you can have honest conversations without the CEO coming down your neck and being like, hey, why did you tell this to the juniors or whatever? You know, like it's almost like because it's so 
so it's so like so hierarchical almost there's also a lot of space between everyone in the company so you can form these little spaces where interesting things happen and then i've also been at very flat companies um so that like the worst company like like i've worked at a couple of non-profits and um i have to say as well that you know like uh obviously i'm not going to name companies but like the company that i would probably say has the worst work environment like that i've worked at in my career has been one of those non-profits so you know like it's i don't know like it's it's honestly i think it's what you have is you just have people and you throw them in a pot and stuff happens either good or bad like it depends on the configuration of people that being said one thing that i have seen is that you have you know self propagation you, you know like it's that the thing of like the deity effect so what happens is obviously you know as like if there's a tendency towards something like obviously the type of people who go against that are eventually going to leave and they're going to be like i can't deal with this crap anymore or the other way around you know like you might have you know a tendency to being open and whatever um you know, I'm, I'm, I think I can honestly say this at Open Up, for example, you know, like, um, uh, you, you also know Open Up, uh, Scott Nettling, I think you've done contract work for them. I, I used to be their head of, head of front end. Um, and like there, I'd stayed way longer than practically made sense for me just because it was such a great company culture. And I was like, yeah, I probably should think about moving on. Um, but man, like, I'm just like, it's, it's like family, you know? Um, so the other way around, like, you also have people that are still staying at companies, maybe even against their own career prospects or whatever, just because. So, like, it's one thing that I have found is that if there's a tendency towards one or the other, like, it just, it, it continues on that trajectory. Um, so, but yeah, in terms of predictors for toxic culture or whatever i don't know your guess is as good as mine like i i don't know what influences these things but yeah cool but skulk you're gonna lead us out now so you know like uh that's uh that's that's a price you pay for asking one more question <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the answers that was that was really enlightening um so yeah i this was a wonderful conversation it was really nice to meet you bavani at it's one of those conversations where it felt like I knew you for a very long time. You know, one of those weird things, which is comfortable to speak. So, yeah, thank you for just bringing yourself to, to this and being open and open to talking about all these topics. That's not always, you know, I think our, our slogan is uh, honest conversation about hard topics. And I feel like that's what we had today. And that, that's lovely. So, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. I, I, what I would like to do in closing this time is maybe one thing that that has had an impact on you that you'd like to share and it can be anything it can be a quote it can be a book it can be a video it can be anything for me um i uh meant, i think before we recorded i mentioned a uh, podcast episode from rich roll that i really found um, enlightening just because i had such a connection with the person on the podcast i'll link that up um i forgot his name again just now but Suffice it to say, I'll link it up and, and call it out in the show notes. Uh, the other one, so I'm going to cheat enough too, um, is the TED talk about how to do laundry when you're depressed. That was that was so impactful to me. So those are the only things I want to share. And then I'm going to hand it over to Bhavani to, to share your one thing, or you can cheat and make it too as well. Thanks. I was considering to... 
the the one is more fun than the other. Uh, I do like bringing some some fun to these topics because it's it's tough, right? And something I really enjoy is stand up comedy. So for for you know listeners who are into stand up comedy, there's a podcast I listen to. Um, it's called Blocks. It's by a comedian called Neil Brennan. It's he did a stand up special. I think it's on Netflix where he's very vulnerable and talks about his own struggles with mental health and then he turned it into a podcast where other comedians come on the podcast and talk about the things they're struggling with and it's it's been so helpful because you see these people that you think are so happy and are making everyone else happy and you hear them talk about the same things we're all dealing with um it it brings some lightheartedness to it some humor to it but also again that thing of uh, things aren't always what they seem on the outside, so that's something I really, really enjoy. Um, and then, you know, to cheat and now the second one, I did want to mention a book that really helped me a lot was called Option B. Um, it's written by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant, and it helped me because at the time it was it, the book's a little bit about grief, and at the time, you know, uh, I was going through that. But there's something they talk about in the book that stuck with me. It's this acronym, the three P's. And they say if you can avoid these three P's, it helps you like mentally not spiral downwards. So the one P is personalization. So like personalization is you telling yourself when something bad happens, this is my fault, this is happening because of me specifically. Permanence, uh, I feel like like this is happening now, therefore it will always happen. So I'm depressed today, this thing's not going to change, my life is doomed kind of thinking. And then the last one is pervasiveness where this thing is wrong in my life, therefore everything is wrong in my life. And when I heard that, when I, it stuck with me because I was stuck in those, those three patterns. And it's helpful for me to, when I'm having a thought, be able to talk myself through, oh, this is not a permanent. In two weeks' time, the situation will be very different and I'll have a different problem. You know, uh, if this isn't because of me, a lot of people I know deal with the same thing in a different situation. And this is not pervasive, like, you know, if I'm having a work problem, I can say, well, my dogs are great, and they we're going to go for a walk, and that's great. Like, it doesn't affect all the parts of my life that one thing is, is not working out. So I thought, yeah, those are just maybe two things that, that I found really useful. Yeah, so on my side, sure, like I'm actually now having a bit of an internal struggle in terms of what I should actually mention, um, because I... Like, there's something that touched me really deeply the, the last week, and I can't really say why, or I can't really explain why. So I'm immediately, I'm like, yeah, that's stupid. I'm not gonna, I don't know, I don't even know why it in like had such an impact on me. I I'm not gonna mention that. Um, and it's also like a stupid example. I, I wish I could, like, say, you know, it, it's kind of a book I read or something, but. But let me just go through it. You know, let me just eat my own dog food here. Um, so effectively, so, so, so there's this Netflix um, series called uh, Painkiller. I don't know if any of you guys watched it. It's, it's about kind of uh, Purdue and kind of Oxycontin and, and you know, um, Sackler family. And it's, it's a really, there's, a, there's also another documentary on it called um, Crime of the Century. Um, but so the, the, the Painkiller one is a, is a dramatization. Um, and there's also like a book, a really great book about called Empire of Pain, um, but effectively it goes about the, it, it's more so about the opioid uh, in, uh, epidemic in, in, in America, and 
I actually don't know why it touched me, but it really touched me. And it's like, you, you have those things where like you, you watch a movie or you read a book or something. And then it's like, you almost feel like, I don't know, like it's, 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 it's yeah. You, like some things trigger things in you where you kind of reevaluate kind of, you know, why, what am I spending time on? Um, you know, like how am I, like being like, like how am I conducting myself in terms of other people and you know like so, so that was I, I really don't know why and which is why I don't want to give this answer I wish I had something more um, profound but you know for some reason that really triggered a lot of introspection in me um, and yeah so that that's good um, but yeah so that's <laughs> I hope you weren't hoping for me to have the big climax <laughs> of, you know, like you guys like like leading it in. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I read, uh, you know, <laughs> Kierkegaard and uh, or whatever, you know, but uh, no, uh, that, no, I don't know why. I actually don't I, know why, but yeah. No, I that is mm. 100% valid. I've had many of those experiences where I've watched something that was meant to entertain just almost superficially, but for some reason, a character or a narrative in the thing just was like, oh my goodness, you know, art, well, life imitates art, um, that whole thing. So I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, yeah, we've switched to Disney Plus from Netflix for a while. So I haven't seen Painkiller, but I, it's brought up in quite a few places. So I maybe switch it? back so I could watch that. Good, yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, yeah I watched I watched the one about um Theranos that one's on Disney Plus. Um, uh, and that what's it uh the inventor or something. Yeah. Mm, yeah, something like that. But that, that was yeah. that was also very, very interesting in terms of just the mm. like it was this example that we've talked about before, I think, where it's like somebody started something for the best intentions and even when stuff was starting to fall apart they were trying to cling on to the idea that this is still for, for this is still a good thing that i'm doing here even though all the signals around them were saying like this mm. burn this to the ground you're making a massive mistake here they just clinged on to this idea yeah. uh, the whole uh we work thing had the same story yeah. so yeah. yeah but thanks so I, much I, for i think for me yeah, I, I like oh, without the danger of starting the second another episode. Now. <laughs> um, like I think for me also, like yeah, no, I can hundred percent get what where you're coming from. I think for me as well, it's like that's also a bit of a cautionary tale against the fake it till you make it um, kind of thing. Where without saying like, listen, like actually, I this is going horribly wrong, and like no amount of positivity is going to change that. But yeah, anyway, yeah, <laughs> let me just stop right there. Otherwise, we're gonna get into one more episode <laughs> cool uh, thanks so much Bavani. this has been great I, I hope we can chat to you again at some point yeah yeah cool. it was amazing thanks so much folks all right thank you guys cool cheers guys bye 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 bye